Hello and welcome back to How to PhD, episode number 13. Failing the PhD might be the thing that most students worry about the most, but don't stress because today we're going to be telling you the things that you have to demonstrate that will bring you that PhD passing success. Hello and welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in again. My name is Aaron and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Julia. Hi everyone. And so today's episode is called How to Not Fail Your PhD, which is a little bit of a dramatic title. Um, Julia, did you worry at any point in your in the three-year journey of your PhD about failing? Yes, definitely. I think um, um, there were always like different phases that I went through and whenever became a bit more difficult then I thought oh my god I won't finish my PhD or I will fail it um, at the beginning I think I was quite stressed about not actually making any progress I felt like it took a long time to really um, get my studies ready to go or get mm. started and then um, later when I was doing my interview study the recruitment was really going slow and I was worried oh my god if I don't get any participants and I can't get data and then I won't finish and then I think you start spiraling and yeah, yeah definitely um, definitely I think and then at some point I think I was just so far in the process that I thought no I have to finish this now <laughs> um, this is not gonna be for a waste that's <laughs> I right was yeah determined to finish it <laughs> yeah I completely yeah completely relate to everything that you said I think for me perhaps it was more on the kind of um, not feeling that my results were contributing enough I think I didn't feel like my in results were interesting enough to deserve a PhD mm. um, and so this was a big worry of mine that it just wasn't innovative it wasn't groundbreaking and it turns out actually that all these things were not the essential things right Julia so we made today it through. <laughs> yeah we made it through and we're absolutely fine and so actually what we decided to do was to go back really to the core of how to PhD the core of the show um, which is about kind of practical advice and Julia that's what we're doing today all right yes yeah, so I think we're going back to the core of what a PhD actually requires from people right and from candidates and when you really, really think about it, especially if you're smiling right now about like just saying, oh, I won't finish, I will fail my PhD. <laughs> think about what do you actually need to pass your PhD? Think of it of the uh, like the last outcome of the kind of product when you want to think mm. about it like that, which is your thesis, right? So you will have to have a thesis to finish your PhD. That is the number one requirement. And then if you're in a country where you need to pass um, your viva or defense, then of course you will also have to complete that, right? So these are the two things that are you really required for you to complete. And how do you do successful? And I think there are like six kind of areas that we um, identified that we wanted to share with you just to bring it down to the six things that you need to demonstrate in your thesis and in your defense of IVA in order to successfully pass. Yeah, sounds good. So let's get cracking with point number one. So point number one, one of the essential things is you have to essentially, Julia, demonstrate that you have an awareness of, of what's been done in your field, right? And, and you have to try and communicate that. Yeah, and I think that's um, a point actually that people forget about because it's, it's in the end it, it feels like quite basic because obviously you're reading about your research and um, but I think it's a really key point because in the end what examiners want to see that you're a researcher who's ready to kind of um, conduct f future research mm. in that area if you wanted to, right? So I think um, 
this is something that you kind of demonstrate in your thesis in the background section, obviously, where you set up your topic, you discuss what kind of research has already been done, and it kind of leads off um, why you're conducting your research. I think we talked about that a lot um, in previous episodes about like that the background section should really set up your research question and research objectives. Yeah, we talked about kind of bringing it full circle exactly completing that story yeah and this is already showing that's one part i think that is important about um doing a phd showing this awareness and you also do that probably in the discussion because there you will discuss your findings uh, or results um and bring it yeah into into the bigger context right so what do your findings mean in in the bigger grant scheme and so um in the defense um I, I think, again, what the examiners want to see is that you have to have the ability to have a conversation around your topic. And just by reading about it, writing about it, yeah. you you will have this the skill, I think, at the end. And yeah, I think often people don't think of that as something that you actually learn because you do it naturally throughout the years. But it's one of the key points that already yeah. bring you one step further yeah. to completing. Absolutely. If you demonstrate that, then already you're setting yourself up in a in a really strong way and of course you know some students might say oh, but there hasn't been a lot done in my field it might be so cutting edge that there isn't a lot of published literature and we talked about this i think in a couple of episodes now but you can use other sources like magazines yeah. like trade journals it's equally important it's, yeah. it's equally important mm-hmm. and especially if there's not literature any examiner mm-hmm. will understand that yeah it's a brand new field that the literature you know, you know how journals are. It can take a couple of years for these things to, to really start coming out. And it was certainly true in my field that this was not the case. So, you know, using these kind of sources will also help you demonstrate this awareness of field. Don't don't underplay the importance of things like magazines and stuff like that because you right. can get a lot of information from that. Yeah, but I think what we're saying is there will be a reason why you're conducting this research. Mm. It will yes. be based on something. So it might not be um, research or information directly in your field, but maybe in areas that can be kind of translated to your area then or transferable to your area. Um, So yeah, that's step one and you're already a step closer. That's right, yeah, it's a big, big step. And uh, I think personally, I I always don't enjoy writing the background. Uh, I think that's (laughs) like my least favorite part of the whole process, but Mm. it's a core part. So if you get that right, you're on a very, very, very good path. So I guess the next point is very much related to kind of understanding, but rather less of the kind of stuff in your field, but more to do with the research methods. So point number two, that's key to demonstrate. Uh, So once you've demonstrated your awareness of the field, you also need to be able to demonstrate your awareness and understanding of the research methods that you're using, right? Exactly. And I think that's, again, thinking from the examiner's perspective, it's like they want to see there is a young person or not young person, you can do a PhD or whatever. <laughs> of course, a, in a your young life, researcher. Right? A young yeah. or early career researcher, a, yeah. let's call it that, um, that is able to yeah understand research methods so that if they let you go after your PhD out in the in academia or even industry where you do research, that they know, okay, this person has a sound understanding of some research methods. And um, so where you demonstrate that is in the thesis, I think in the justification of methods or kind of methodology, and then also in the description of methods. So where you outline what you did. So why did you do and what did you do? And um, I think, yes, yeah, just 
important to be aware of that and you will write um, mm. about that and your supervisors will also guide you. But um, I think um, just looking at what other people have done. So if they have done, let's say, a systematic review, following good practice and seeing have you, for example, followed all the checklists that are in the area, um, cite them then, of course, or if you can't find any checklists, but you find maybe papers that use a similar um, method than you did, you can just cite those papers. Yeah. yeah. And it's all just showing that you, yeah, have, you you know why you did stuff and, and how you did that. And um, again, a massive, I think a really big, important point of, um, um, yeah, passing your your PhD. Yeah, and we're going to touch on this in the in the third point. But actually, really, I think for me personally, for my doctorate, I of course I had my results, but I leaned very heavily on my ability to show and understand the research methods that I used. And interestingly, in the Viva, in the defence, this was one of the things that they really, really asked me about. Mm. Was not really so much about the results, but actually, mm. did I understand what I did? right yeah, and, yeah. and and why i did it um you know why did i use interviews why did i use eye tracking you know what's the disadvantage how accurate is it all these kind of questions yeah, true. um yeah. yeah which i think because you're in that process because you're doing the experiment you might not value how amazing it is to do something like an interview study or a lab experiment, just being able to do that is a, is a very complex and advanced thing. So really value the fact that you mm. know that and, and really make sure you've got that understanding tip top yeah. uh, in the yeah. thesis. Um, and I think not to worry about as well, if you think at hindsight at a later point in your PhD, oh, I chose the wrong method, actually method X, mm, Y yeah. would have been more interesting because you, it's important and you should show that you can reflect on those things. So for example, my um, vibe, I remember, I think it was about my systematic review and um, my examiner was asking, why did you do systematic review and not a realist review? And um, I was saying, yeah, honestly, I think probably a realist review would have even been more interesting if, if I would, would have done that. But um, I had my reasons not to do it at this point, but would I do it again? I would do it. So it's it's completely fine to reflect on yeah, um, how you would do it if you could do it all over again. That's completely natural and again, what they want to see, an early career researcher who can reflect about these things, think critical about, critically about their own work and um, will do a good job in the future with coming up with the right methods for the right research. That's exactly it. Yeah. So very close to this point. And the next thing that needs to be demonstrated is, of course, I think perhaps the one thing that we worry about the most, which is contribution to knowledge. So contribution to knowledge. And as I said, right at the beginning of the show, I think this is the thing that I worried about the most was I was worried about that this was the thing that I didn't really have. I knew I had something, but I was concerned that I wasn't demonstrating that. But I think in this section, we're going to really, really go in deep on how, you know, that why this is important, first of all, and also some of the things that you can do to try and ensure that you really make your contribution to knowledge sing beyond mm what you might think is the obvious contribution to knowledge. Um, so it's quite a tricky concept, isn't it, Julia? Yes, because I think it's it's a bit vague, right? So the contribution to knowledge, you don't know yeah. how much is enough, right? There is no guidance on how much is enough to, to pass or how, how much do you need? And I think um, it varies a lot as well. Mm. Uh, so when I look at my colleagues, we all had different 
numbers of studies um, that we conducted. So I think my project was on the smaller scale. Um, I did have yeah, a systematic review, an interview study, and then a quantitative study. Um, whereas I know some people had like many more yeah. more studies. Yeah. And I also remember that um, some of my colleagues um, were saying that the supervisors were always telling them, oh, you don't have enough. And I was there mm. sitting like, oh my God, if they don't have enough, like, do I, I have enough? I, I definitely but don't. But yeah. my supervisors were really, I think, um, yeah, really un understanding and in the way, really realistic as well about the time. I only had three um, years of funding and um, they knew that I was, um, because I, I mentioned that, like in previous episodes but, but because my background was not in research and also not in health sciences um so i had to had to learn a lot at the beginning of the phd about research yeah. methods yeah. and about the field so of course i couldn't have done the same amount of studies that other people could and um yeah so that that's there's so much variation which makes it difficult and i think that's what people are struggling with the most in the way also that they uh, sometimes i think the worry is not that you will fail, that other people will let you fail or the examiners, but that you think you don't have enough and that puts you off your PhD. And mm. um, I think the worry or the thing yeah. I'm more concerned about is that PhD students th think that they don't have enough to finish and then give up um, at that point. Although there's no no reason to um, from That's the perspective right. of examiners. Yeah, and I think this is worth, this is a point that's worth really expanding on a bit because I think really we focus a lot on the results right we focus on things if you're doing statistics we focus on the p-value right mm. p is less than 0.05 wow like incredible right mm. um but actually there's there's really so much more to your phd and certainly thinking practically what examiners are looking for in a phd uh, as as to whether you know whether you whether or not you pass is not just based on the final result of your exam right uh, and there are learnings in everything you do so even uh, an experiment that's failed that's not shown you what you were expecting to find mm -hmm. um is is a contribution to it's, knowledge it's, as well it's Again. a contribution to knowledge you know we, we yeah. talked about the fact that you know this is one of the key things that you need to demonstrate in your phd and it's probably the number one thing right um but actually it's fine if if it, if it failed you actually learn something from that you've shown that this particular way of doing things actually doesn't have an effect or doesn't have the intended mm. effect and that's a learning that's really important so don't you found a way of how not to do it <laughs> exactly you found a way how not to fail how not to do it right um and that's this is really the, the I, I just really want to emphasize how crucially important it is to recognize it and please you know don't feel down if you feel like your results are not revolutionary mm. right and this really was tough for me because i didn't feel like you know i had colleagues who were doing had had incredible potentially like world-changing results mm. right and and mine would were definitely not i was feeling like i was trying to you know polish a muddy stone into a diamond right it was trying to find like this this amazing result and it doesn't have to be right but again i think sometimes that's your perspective you think it's not interesting I, exactly, and then yeah. i think um when you have your viva and then your examiner saying oh this is really interesting you think oh really that's the first time that i hear, so heard many that times. yeah <laughs> or that, like after when you right. present it when i pre present my phd findings now um to people who are in the field like other topic experts then they're like oh that's really interesting that resonates with us and that's the exact thing in my viva when yeah when it came to the end and they said you know these are really interesting results 
was like, what? what? Really? <laughs> like, yeah. I was I was genuinely surprised. And that's, again, that's all that kind yeah. of internal voice. It's linking to the imposter syndrome, it's, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely linking to and imposter syndrome. And I think syndrome. it's particularly difficult for people who are perfectionists. And um, I think the nature, a lot of people who do a PhD, I think, have like very high standards and expectations of, of their work. And um, probably if you're doing a PhD, maybe in your, your family and friends will also ask you about your research and expect you're doing something incredible <laughs> if you're doing a PhD. And so maybe you feel just a lot of pressure and you do want to, um, because you spend a lot of lot of time on it, like several years, you want to wanna feel like you achieved a lot. Um, but sometimes we are just like one puzzle piece, right? In a, if you think about a big, you, the whole research field as a big um, jigsaw, you're one mm. puzzle piece that's small, but that is important and will fit in in the end. Um, so that's, I think, maybe a way to think about it. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the modern world of science is is absolutely, as you say, it's it's a huge, huge team effort. It's not like in the in the old days, you know, in the 1700s, 1800s, where, you know, people, if they just find one small thing, that would be like revolutionary. And there were huge mm. results coming out from single people. It doesn't it doesn't work like that anymore. It's it's a team effort. As you mm. say, it's it's a small step you're contributing that small step in a wider world so mm. don't please don't feel down about your phd and your results if you don't feel that your results are revolutionary they mm. absolutely don't have to be in order exactly. to achieve that contribution and to again knowledge. they're not the only thing we already covered two things showing yes. awareness of your field and an ability to understand um, an understanding of research methods yeah. So it's not all about findings. No, it's absolutely not. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned in the previous point, methodological contributions, right? Is there something you did in a different way, right? Yeah, New on tool? a different setting, different a different setting. area. Um, um, I used a, a, a different immersive driving simulator, right? Mm. Is there a different field you did in? These are all contributions to knowledge. Um, were you things you things you did differently? Are you the first one in this field? And therefore there wasn't a whole lot to go on and you're just kind of the first one trying to work it out this is this is all really important stuff so we're mm. we're we're laboring on this point a little bit but because it's it's just so important and i think mm. often and and for us you know this is something we always worried about but we just really want to emphasize that you you almost definitely have a contribution to knowledge and don't just focus on the results um you will you will find that contribution in the stuff you've done um, and and to have that confidence, I guess, mm. in 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 the work that you're doing. Okay. So yeah, let's let's, let's go on. to the next point, yep. uh, mm. which is a little bit more, I think, a little bit more black and white. This one is yep. very clear, which mm -hmm. is not to plagiarize. So no plagiarism. So plagiarism is is copying other people's work. Um, and essentially taking credit for it as your as your own, right? Mm. That's, that's basically what it copying and pasting from the internet. Um, now it can seem quite simple not to do it, but actually, um, I think there's there's a kind of worry with a lot of students um, that they might sort of accidentally do this. And so, mm. Julia, what what can what can someone do to sort of ensure that they avoid the trap of not plagiarizing or they avoid the trap of plagiarizing. <laughs> yeah, I think before we go into that, just like um, I'm asking you, did you ever worry about that? 
Uh, well, not so much. No, I not, don't, right? I don't know. Okay, because I think for me, because I think as a non-native speaker, maybe it's different as well. Because I remember, especially, um, well, I did my I did my masters obviously in in um, Warwick as well, and I do remember <laughs> reading papers and like um, like speaking English the whole day, reading English the the whole day, and then also reading about like research that I was not familiar with initially. Um, and and then you, your brain is just really tired and sometimes when you want to use like a sentence from a journal paper for example and you i just sometimes could not think about a different way to phrase that sentence that was but so important mm, for me to include okay, yeah. um so i sometimes um was too tired i just couldn't find a different formulation so i just like copied it basically into um yeah my background section or whatever i was writing at the moment and then I, I was worrying, oh my God, what if I, if this is picked up later and if I, what if I forget to rewrite the sentence and it, it's going to be picked up and then I'm going to fail <laughs> um, my thesis or dissertation um, back then. And so I think when I did my PhD, I tried to be really, really um, consistent and strict um, about if I quoted from a journal paper or any other source for any reason, if I could not think of rephrasing or whatever, I would put it into um, quotes, uh, quotations, right? Um, to remind myself that this is not my wording that I stole <laughs> that so wording. Kind of a way of to like, just be aware your, of yeah, that. Yeah, aware just to be aware of that. When you're taking these notes. Exactly. And yeah. then um, um, I think now I've become much quicker. I think the more you read about your research and the more you write and um, the, the easier it gets that you don't need that anymore. But so if, if I do it, I put it into quotations and then when I reread um, the section that I've written, I can just easily go through it again and rephrase it or I can help other people can help me to rephrase it if, yeah. if I don't know how to do it. But honestly, I think in the PhD, in the end, um, I had undergone so many revisions from different people, different people leaving comments. So I was rewriting so much. I think it's pretty much impossible if you've really done the work yourself you were like kind of um really um, strict about like or like really aware of where you um used a, a wording from a certain paper that is then really kind of impossible yeah uh, I, I to think, play, plagiarize and uh, the, the the software that's used in at least in the uk it might be international but it's called turnitin and i think there's there's software, plagiarism software that's used across the world, mm. which essentially tells you, you know, how much, you know, it gives a percentage of how much of the mm. dissertation is should be should be worried about. And actually, you know, a, a perfectly honestly written document, I think, is around fifteen to twenty. Like, it okay. might have a score of fifteen okay. to twenty percent. Or, uh, it's yeah. it's it's it might not be exactly yeah. that number, but it's it's surprisingly high. Mm. And I think the point is. Of course, when you write something, there are sometimes just only that a handful of ways. Yeah, well, yeah. So yeah. naturally, there will there be some be. things mm. that get flagged up. But as long as you are genuinely writing this stuff yeah. yourself, should have nothing you, you to should worry have about. nothing to worry and about. And I see a lot of people who say, um, ask, um, oh, is there software where I can upload my thesis in advance mm. to just check that I didn't yeah. play? But I think, um, I think, first of all, you don't really, you don't need it if you have 
done your job. I, I think there's there's nothing to worry about. And also, I heard, but I don't know whether that's true, that if you run it through a software online or something, then it might be picked up. It might already be in the system, so it might accidentally be picked up by the software that's being used oh, at really? university. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I heard in my master. I'm not sure whether whether it's true, might, might but so I did not do that, and I think you also did not no, so I, run it through. I, look, this, yeah, yeah, I. I don't know. I feel like if it maybe gives you a lot of, you know, peace mm. of mind to run it through it, then there's probably no harm. Yeah. I'm not sure if it yeah. does this upload thing, but I think just don't. Do uh, it. Don't, but definitely don't pay for anything like that. You know, oh, no, don't. No. Just you know, don't do like it. really don't. It, it, it's it's just honestly write your work through the revision yeah. process through edits. It will naturally. Uh, come, yeah. Come Although out. there's one more thing to mention, maybe it's about self plagiarizing oh my, is that word right yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you for, for example have already written a journal paper and then um you can't copy your own wording which sounds <laughs> might sound weird but even if you've already published a journal paper and are kind of re rewriting um that paper um in your thesis yeah then you should I do, but this i know that. this changes university to university uh some people do allow you to just if you copy it in, in, but i yeah. think then it has to be obvious or it has to be like acknowledged uh, right, that yes. you included a journal paper um yeah, into yeah, your thesis yeah. so just be upfront about like whether it has been published i, I think that's the that i way. think that's the summarizing thing with plagiarism yeah. is just to be upfront you know use the references that's exactly what referencing mm. is for if you take a direct quote say it's exactly. a direct quote yeah. and and just honestly write it yourself and really it's it's not going to be something yeah. to worry about um so we have okay. a couple two more points right yeah and i think the next point is actually linking quite nicely to that um which is about like that you should demonstrate in your thesis and in your defense that you did the work yourself Okay, so point number five, uh, and Julia, as it is said, very closely related to plagiarism, is to demonstrate that you did the work yourself. Exactly. So it's a little bit different from plagiarism. Well, but we talked about this accidental plagiarism. Right? No, I can't say that word today. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think this is about highlighting in your thesis what you did, yeah. and also where there were contributions from other people, which of course can happen. So for example, my systematic review, I worked with a specialist librarian who supported the search, but I think just by making clear, and again, that will be mainly, I guess, in the methods section, and some people even like to write, I don't I don't think I wrote in the I perspective in my thesis, no. but you can do that. And it's just like about being clear, um, yeah, what you did. And also you can, of course, acknowledge people that helped you and make clear in which parts they were supporting you. Um, for example, if they helped you develop the study design or support the analysis, of course, but I think it should be clear that you did the bulk of the work. And hmm. I think, think about the vibe, I think it will become yeah. very obvious <laughs> at some point, like whether you did the work yourself or not. Um, and um, yeah, what, what I just realized when I was kind of preparing for my Viva and, and sometimes I still notice that when I talk about my PhD project that I say we did this mm. <laughs> uh, rather than saying I did that. And I think that's quite important in Viva to just like, um, like, oh, what is that we? <laughs> what is that we? Of course, you work with your supervisors, but just be like very um, self-aware about the things that you did. Yeah, I think that that's the advice on that. Definitely, I I do that a lot. Even to this day, I, I say we we and and not not mm. I. Um, 
and I, I get it. I think it's kind of sometimes quite difficult to sort of talk about yourself in that way. Uh, yeah. But yeah, emphasize that you did the work and, and really demonstrate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really the, the, the key point with that. Mm-hmm. So the final point in this episode is to be ethical. So the final point we want to make, but certainly not the least important, is about demonstrating that you've done your research in an, in an ethical way. Exactly, yeah. And I think, again, thinking about the examiner's perspective is, again, they want to see an early career researcher who's conducting research ethically, right? Because that's super important. Because um, otherwise, you and the university, everybody can get in a lot of trouble, right? If research is not done in an ethical way, that's the, yeah, it's, it's the so, core yeah, thing, so right? crucial, yeah. <laughs> you have to do it. And so how do you do that? Um, we had like um, an episode on ethics already, but so yeah, just be aware for what um, different um, studies that you're conducting. Do you need ethical approval? And what needs to be in this ethics application? What do you need to demonstrate? Um, and that kind of will ensure you when you do this ethics application that you're aware of all the things that you have to do in order for your research to be sound and, and in line with the guidance that is um, or guidelines in you in the country that you're conducting your research yes. and that might differ again from country to country um, but yeah of course and um, you can look at studies that have already been published so again using the example of an interview study um, usually when you collect data from people through interviews, you will require ethical approval. So you can see and publish studies um, what they are saying about ethics application um, and, and follow kind of their, their guidance as well. That's right. And yeah. yeah, if you have the chance at your university um, or elsewhere um, to get trained. So for example, in my field, health sciences, it's quite um, uh, yeah standard that you get c- good clinical um, practice. It's called GCP training or training how to get consent from people. So just do there's, whatever you can. Yeah. There's lots available. And, and yeah. if you're not sure what to find, then if you email your ethics board or ethics committee at your university, they will almost advise definitely you, right? yeah. be happy to give you advice and, mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, really advise you on that because th- I think when, when people come to them in a positive way, proactively, uh, before they start submitting mm. stuff they really really like to see that so exactly. there's a lot of training out there formal or informal um, definitely get in touch with the yeah. people who, who know these things exactly I think the last point is a very obvious one but yeah of course you should not make up any results again that might like link to people if you're worried you don't have like groundbreaking breaking findings or you don't get the p-values that you wanted um maybe you feel some temptation to that but oh my god yeah there's no need for that your findings are your findings and it will be absolutely fine in getting your phd and it's really important if you think about that if you want to do a career in research um, it's so important, right? That sign, and we see that now yeah. during the Corona pandemic as well. We have to trust uh, scientists, yeah. Um, and yeah, that that's this goes. Yeah, as you said, it goes right back to that point about contribution to knowledge. It is not just about the results. So yeah. just 
please don't feel that temptation to forge it. It's just, it's just not worth it's it. Wrong. It's wrong. Yeah. It's wrong and, and you, you don't need it for your PhD. You, yeah. know, you can get your PhD without having to resort to something like that. So, But that is hopefully... Um, Everybody who's listening is uh, doing that anyway. That's true. Yeah. But um, our episode today was about how to not fail. And so this is one that's right. of the things you will get in trouble <laughs> if you do that. It, it will it will be problematic. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I think that's everything that we, we wanted yes. to really talk about. So, um, yeah, hopefully those six points have given you reassurance, some reassurance. Yeah. yeah, some reassurance that actually um, you probably doing a lot of this stuff already and and mm. hopefully the way we've kind of shared our experiences mm. and 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 shared some of our thoughts on these points kind of emphasize that actually there's a lot of stuff you can do and and you're going to be absolutely fine So that brings us to an end of another episode of How to PhD. Uh, we've covered a lot of things today, so I think it's worth just summarizing the six points. So remember, the key things that you need in your PhD, if you're, if you're feeling panicked about what what's happening and, and whether you're going to fail, just remember the key things. So number one, show an awareness of what has been done in your field, right? Number two, show an awareness of your research methods, right? What have you done? Why did you do it? And, and, and exactly what do your research methods mean and why are they good and bad, right? Uh, contribution to knowledge. This is the famous one, right? This is the one that a lot of people think about. But And chances are, don't worry. Don't worry if your results are not groundbreaking. It's fine. You'll probably actually have a lot of contribution to knowledge in just just doing what you have done, right? Number what am I on now? Like four. Number four. Oh my gosh. Number four, plagiarism. No plagiarism, right? And you can understand how you could sort of end up in a kind of accidental way of doing plagiarism, but don't worry if you've if you're writing your stuff honestly, it's gonna be okay. Number five, make sure you've done the work yourself, right? And 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 demonstrate that you've done the work yourself. Use language like I, not we, right? Especially mm. in the thesis and in, in your viva. And finally, be ethical, right? Do things mm. in an ethical way um, and in a way that's going to uh, uphold the, yeah. the standards of science in the world. Yeah, so a lot of things you take probably for granted and you are not aware that that is actually already part of passing your PhD, all of those things. Yeah, absolutely that. Absolutely. So okay. thank you so much for listening to episode number 13 of How to PhD. I can't believe we've come so far already in just such a short space of time. Uh, but of course, if you know someone who you think could benefit from this episode, then please do share it with them. And of course, if you enjoy listening to How to PhD and you would like to support us, you can do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting our website at www.howtophd.show and leaving a small donation through Buy Me A Coffee. As always, thank you everyone to who, who have supported the show through donations and engagement on our social media uh, and by getting in touch with us, which incidentally you can do at contact at howtophd.show and Twitter and Instagram at how to phd show so next week julia this is gonna be this is an interesting one I, th I think this is one that i really wish i'd had before i did my phd yeah so in our next episode we're going to talk about conferences um so the things are uh, that we felt we would like yeah to share with you some of our experiences and um, positive experiences and um, also yeah where our conference brought us to like different parts of the world 
and um, yeah, maybe things that can prepare you for your first conference or future conference if you've already done one. That's it. Yep. So it's going to be a good episode. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you all next time.